In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> beloved Orthodox Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, <clears throat> six days ago we celebrated the memory of a great saint, St. Nicholas, the wonder worker of Myra and Lycia, and today we celebrate the memory of a saint like unto him, another great saint, another great old man, uh, St. Spiridon of Trimethus. Two of them lived in the same time period, in the beginning of the uh, fourth centuries, when they were laboring for Christ, shepherding their sheep, and they like unto each other. They both were pastors, true shepherds, true people of faith, men of faith, who had shepherded their sheep with all diligence, with all humility, with all piety. Both were also meek and humble and gentle in all their ways, as we know from their uh, lives. And both of them were also confessors of faith who defended the Holy Trinity, the worship of our true God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the Council of Nicaea that was assembled in the year 325 by St. Constantine, the Emperor. And as St. Nicholas went to that council to shut the mouth of Arius, who was blaspheming against our Savior, so also St. Spiridon was there. There were allies together with many other Holy Fathers in that holy council that assembled 318 fathers from all over the empire. And St. Spiridon was a very simple man. And when he was hearing the terrible things said by, the, uh, uh, by Arius and his, those who were of, his, of like mind with him, St. Spiridon couldn't contain himself and he asked the other fathers that he would stand up and say a few words. And they were asking him, no father, you sit down, we'll try to to contend with this uh, man, for you are simple in your ways. You were a shepherd, and therefore you don't have the, the, uh, the, the, the astuteness of, of uh, tongue to be able to, uh, to uh, refute this man. He said, no, I, will stay, I, will, I want to speak my mind, and uh, speak my mind uh, I shall. And so he stood up, and instead of speaking his uh, mind with eloquence, he said a few words, but then performed such a miracle that is remembered in the church as the most awesome demonstration of the unity and trinity of our God, thinking incomprehensible to our minds, but thing that is true, revealed by uh, God himself. For what do we hear? What did St. Spiridon do? <clears throat> he put him, he stood up and took a brick, uh, in his hand, and he demonstrated how brick, seeing it, is of one nature, that we can see it as one, but at the same time is it made of three different elements, of fire, of water, and of earth. So at him speaking of unity of the brick, and at the same saying that it is also a trinity at the same time, the brick in his hell is integrated, and the fire went up to it, from which it was baked, and water ran down, from which it was had uh, been made into clay, and the earth was left in his in his hand, and with this awesome miracle in a simple way, but with power of God on his side, he demonstrated that mystery of mysteries, incomprehensible to to, to human mind, but revealed by God Himself that He is both unity in essence and Trinity in persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we also know of many other miracles. Uh, almost childlike simplicity had this man in performing his miracle. So one of the favorites is when he resurrected the mother and the child. For when he was coming out together with his deacon from the uh, emperor's palace, I think it was Emperor Constantius, the son of uh, Emperor Constantine, 
uh, a mother came with a dead child in her hands and uh, put the child in front of him and said, the servant of God, help me uh, with, with, uh, with resurrect this child. And awesome is this request uh, to any man, no matter how holy he is. And St. Spiridon, in childlike simplicity, asked his deacon, what shall we do, brother? And the deacon, knowing the power of God abiding in him, said, uh, Father, if you pray to God, who is the Lord of the living and the dead, he will hear your prayers, and with his might you'll be able to help this woman. So St. Spiridon, with innocence that he had, prayed to our Savior, who is the living, who is the God of the living and the dead, and the little child resurrected. He rose from the dead. And seeing this, the mother now, who had such such an exaltation in her, in her heart that she passed away out of joy. And the child was left crying without the mother now. So St. Spiridon asks the deacon, and what shall we do now, brother? And he said, well, the same God who heard you to raise the little child will also raise the mother. So he prayed again and the mother was resurrected. Unbelievable. To, to worldly mind, but believable to all who have simplicity of our true faith are the things that the saints did. And I said that St. Nicholas and St. Spiridon were allies in this, in the first council, and they were also like one to another. They lived even across the seas. St. Nicholas lived in Mare and Elisha, which is the southern coasts of Asia Minor, and St. Spiridon lived in Trimethus of Cyprus, which is across the sea from Asia Minor, uh, and they're buried close to each other across the sea as well. St. Nicholas is, as I said in on the sermon uh, last uh, Wednesday, uh, is buried in Bari, which is in the Easter, one of the easternmost port cities of the Italian, uh, of Italy, of the Italian peninsula, and across the sea on the westernmost island of Greece in Gerkira is buried so they're across the sea from each other, just as they lived across the sea during their lifetime, so also they're buried across the sea. And it's wondrous how they, 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 uh, it, it, this holiness that abides in these two places, in Kerkira, Western Spiridon is there, incorrupt to this day, performing wondrous miracles, and St. Nicholas, who to, the, to this day uh, brings out myrrh from his holy bones to this day. And once, when I was in, in, in Bari, I, I met a, a monk who was of Russian descent, a Russian uh, man, an Orthodox monk, who uh, had uh, a grievous disease, uh, a, a, an illness. And he, was, uh, he had moved to Bari to settle there and to ask St. Nicholas for the healing. And I asked him, well, how, how do you live? He says, I live between two saints. I live here asking St. Nicholas for help, and then I take a ferry boat and go across to Gerkin and I pray to St. Spiridon. And I stay there, then I come back to pray to St. Nicholas again. And in my heart I said, what a wondrous way uh, the man has devised to live between the two great saints, supported from the uh, right and then the left, the prayers of these two great hierarchs of, of our, our Saviour. So this Spiridon is a great intercessor for us, a great saint, a great pillar of faith, and a man of innocence, and a man who showed us what a true shepherd of his flock is. Today we also celebrate, beloved Christians, our very own enlightener of the lands that where we live in North America, St. Herman 
of Alaska. Every land where orthodoxy has been preached has a pivotal, a, a crucial person who came and who labored, first among those who labor in that land, in order to spread the faith, in order to teach, to show what our true faith, our true worship, our true way of life is. And for, the, for us who live in North America, who in this land that gave us refuge in these uh, evil times and live here, being able to practice our faith without intimidation, the, uh, the person who was first in establishing the faith, the first to, to, be, to uh, uh, establish a, a, a bridgehead, an outpost, a fort of orthodoxy in this land, was St. Herman of Alaska. And in his life we understand what a true, orthodox, true apostolic orthodox missionary looks like. For we have sometimes very vague ideas Look, uh, as, as we see how Protestants especially think what mission, an apostolic mission, looks like, a vague idea what a true apostolic uh, uh, Orthodox Christian missionary looks like. And St. Herman is the one that will indicate us, will tell us, especially in our days. So what do we hear about his life and about his labors? That the, when the, in Valam, monastery in Valam, in the northern uh, parts of European Russia. It was announced that uh, the missionaries were needed to be sent to the, uh, uh, to the land of North America in Alaska, which at that time belonged to the Russian Empire, to convert the, the peoples that lived there. They selected several uh, monks, and among them was St. Herman. And he was sent across the whole the landmass of Eurasia, of, of passing through the whole European Russia, then Siberia, and then crossing the Bering Strait to arrive to the Aleutian Islands off the Alaskan coast, a journey that took him weeks, if not months. And he knew that after moving from his beloved monastery of Valam, he wouldn't see it ever again, for there was no possibility of making trips back and forth. He was there to be sent to make, to, to be like a man who is sent as, as, a, as a vanguard, as in a, to create an outpost in a foreign land. And he bid farewell and understanding that, that this was his sacrifice. So the first, the first character, first trait of uh, somebody who is, is, is selected to do a mission, to, uh, to labor apostolically for other people, is sacrifice of his own land, sacrifice of his own kin, to go out and be there with the people who he wants to, with whom he wants to share the true faith. But once he arrived in Alaska, what did he do? Did he go from place to place to, with grandstanding to start uh, preaching to people who hadn't heard uh, the faith uh, yet? No, he didn't do that. He's, what he did was to settle and start living an Orthodox Christian monastic life. And that is the apostolic way, to go in a place and to create a small spot, small space, small island of holiness where true God is worshipped in a true Orthodox manner and where people live, even it be one or two or three, live in an Orthodox manner in accordance with the piety of the Church and to persist in this practice to create an, a true fort, true outpost of orthodox life where God is worshipped according to our faith, true God with true worship, and to live in accordance with the piety of the church, and to persist in this. And this is what St. Herman did. He was neither a, a priest, nor a, let alone a bishop or a metropolitan. He was a simple monk 
And that is how he did his mission, because he understood from the spirit of apostolicity that the church has, and reading the Acts of the Apostles and the preachings of other missionaries before him, that this is how the apostolic mission works. You create a place where God is worshipped, and that place, through that place, through those two or three people, uh, God works marvels. Shockwaves of grace are spread abroad in that land. And those who have their hearts open, they will be attracted like bees to the honey. They will be uh, attracted to come. And that is when we give testimony of our faith. That is when and to whom we give explanation of what our faith is. And that is how the preaching is done. That is how the apostles did it. They didn't go just anywhere. They went, they were called. They knew there were people who would hear them. And they, they went and settled in the house of one or a house of another. And they, they established a house church so that the people who were God knew in their hearts would come and ask them of faith. The only time they went and preached out abroad was in the synagogues. And why in the synagogues? Because in the synagogues the groundwork was done already. They were expecting the Messiah. But the only time that St. Paul went out and preached to people who were not prepared to hear about the faith, which was in Aerobacus in Athens, his, uh, the ones he, uh, he was laughed at at that time, actually, because the, uh, the people were so unprepared to hear what he had to say that they couldn't understand that why is this man preaching about the resurrection of the dead. Although St. Paul's preaching was with power and with strength of the, about the unknown God. Yet the, the, the uh, pickings from that preaching were very meager. Meager in a relative sense because one of them who did convert at that time was St. Dionysius the great among the bishops of Athens, and who also wrote this marvelous work. So uh, meager pickings, relatively speaking, he picked up one or two that would become giants of, of, of the faith. But the point is, that is the point I'm trying to make. The real, the standard, the apostolic way of making mission is to establish uh, uh, spaces, the islands of Holiness, where the bread is broken, that is, the Eucharist is offered, the thanksgiving, basically liturgy is served. That is the whole point of a small island of holiness. Liturgy is served, prayers are said, fasts are being kept, the piety of the church is being defended. This is what the mission looks like. And people that are with open heart, they are the ones who God will bring in a mysterious, in, a, in an unknown to us way, to come and to inquire, what is this new worship? What is this uh, the different way of life? And that is when we should give a good testimony to our faith. That is how missions, uh, true missions, apostolic missions are done. And that is how much responsibility rests on us. Because we might be the ones to whom people inquire about the faith. And if we are not able to Give them example according to our life. I'm not talking about explaining the dogmas of the faith. That is even secondary. First primary is to give uh, a testimony according to the way of our life. When they see us, what we do, how we, whether there is sincerity in what we preach and in what we live. That is the biggest mission. That is the biggest testimony. And that shows how much responsibility rests on all of us. 
And St. Herman understood it. And that is why for 40 years, he was a missionary, but for 40 years, he persevered in a small island in the middle of the Bering Sea on Spruce Island. And he understood that that was his mission, to stay there and to, and to live according to the monastic rule of life and to leave that testimony to the Aleutians, to show them what the monastic life, what orthodox apostolic way of life looked like. And he understood that he wasn't there to count the harvest of how many people he converted. No, the others would, would do that, this next generation of monastics or Orthodox Christians, his task there was to sow the soil, to till and sow the soil with abundance. And that is what he did by persevering in his little cell. And how much he, how much he, he sowed, we know from what flourished, not during his lifetime, but decades afterwards. For St. Herman didn't see the fruits of his labor. When he died, a few decades afterwards, Alaska was sold to the United States and the Russian mission entirely disappeared in Alaska. It was only in the beginning of the 20th century with St. Tikhon, the future patriarch of, of Moscow, that the small community started to flourish and all over the United States, in the West Coast, in the East Coast. And the fruit of St. Herman was that. And the fruit of St. Herman are we, who live Orthodox Christians here. For the first two monasteries that were established, two places of Orthodox monasticism, all the way after St. Herman's repose, that is, almost over a century later after St. Herman's repose, were the Holy Trinity Monastery in Jordanville and Holy Transfiguration Monastery here in Boston. That is the reality, the historical reality. Therefore, we together with all those, those Christians <clears throat> that abide in North America, are the fruits of St. Herman. But we should imitate St. Herman in sowing as well, and not counting our fruit. The fruit, if God wills, that should flourish from, from us, the unworthy ones, will be done if, if the world lasts in, in the future. We might not even see it, and we don't, should seek, shouldn't seek to see it and to measure our work according to what we have accomplished. No, we should persevere in sowing the seed, in doing what St. Herman did, to do it in our generation, and not to seek the, uh, the, the, the fruits to be seen of us or to be vindicated and to be acknowledged and all that. Nothing in silence, in, in not, that people not even knowing about us, lest our names disappear, but God's name be, be, be glorified. That is how we should, that should, should think about it. And then we do think about our mission, uh, as Orthodox Christians, especially as monastics this way. That is when we are really sowing with abundance. There are not many writings of St. Herman of Alaska. In fact, he wrote very little, and very little is known of what he had spoken. We know about his life, but there is one conversation which he had with uh, the, the, the governor and other dignitaries of the Russian uh, colony of, of Alaska at that time, who had invited him to the, there to, to participate in some kind of a, a event. And he was there as, as a representative of the Russian church, and uh, he was listening to what the people were saying, and when it came, time came to, to, for him to say a few words, he asked this penetrating question to uh, all of them there present, and he asked, do you gentlemen, you say that 
your Orthodox Christians and your pious Orthodox Christians, do you love God above everything, above everyone, above yourself, above everything? Do you really love God? And it's such a question that first you want, want to, being an Orthodox Christian, they wanted to say yes, and some of them did say yes. But then he asked the second question, if we love God, do we prove it that we truly love? For when we love somebody, we constantly think about that person. That person is present in our life, even when he is not present physically. We think what uh, and, and do and, uh, and say things that only will be to the pleasing of that person. And we check ourselves whether what we think and what we say and what we act, even when that person is not present, whether that will grieve that person. And we abstain from doing that out of love for that person. That is what it means to, uh, to love, to be in love, to have a beloved. So if we do that in, a, in our relationship with somebody we love, the fathers many times took that example to apply whether we have a true relationship with God. So he asked, is that what you do? Is that the relationship that you have with God, that you think of him constantly, that you speak of him constantly, that you act constantly the way that would please him? And when he, when you do something against his good pleasure, you grieve yourself. You are grieved to, unto death, just as we would be grieved if you had grieved somebody that you truly loved. And everybody was put to shame. For of course, we don't have that kind of relationship with God. And that is when he pronounced those words, those blessed words, let us therefore from this minute, from this hour, from this day, love God above all things and to cultivate this relationship with God. These are these beautiful words which drive home why the fathers would mourn death, for example, so much. Not that they were afraid of death, the mourning, <clears throat> the remembrance of death, it wasn't because they were afraid of their soul separating from their body and the worm sitting up a bodies. That's part of life where everybody dies. It wasn't that. It was that they, with approaching death, they understood and felt with the whole being that less and less time is left to cultivate this relationship with God. For Christianity, it differs from false religions, among other things, by this, that we are not a religion of self-improvement, of some kind of yoga where we independently and autonomously improve ourselves by doing certain exercise and this and that. No. Christianity is a religion of a living relationship with the living God. It's to cultivate this bond, this friendship with God. That's what Christianity is. And if it's difficult to create this bond among human beings, much more difficult is it, it is for us sinners who are so separated from holiness to create with God. And that is why the fathers would mourn the every passing day, for one less day was left to truly cultivate, to create this bond with our Savior, this friendship. That is why Elder Hieronymus would say constantly, pray to our Savior, do not take me until I am entirely yours, until I have become whole being, mind, heart and soul yours, that we are bonded like Good friends, that we are bonded like, that I'm being faithful to you as you have been faithful to all humanity. Therefore, let us remember St. Herman's words, that from this minute, from this hour, from this day, to remember to, to, that our life is about bonding with our Savior. 
And when time comes of our departure, we will look with so much anger at ourselves that if we spend so many hours, so many days, months, years, instead of bonding with our Savior in frivolity, even as monastics, in things that we will repent, that we spend so much time in those things, and every minute that we didn't spend in crossing ourselves, simple thing of crossing ourselves and make and remembering our Savior, we'll repent every second that we didn't do so constantly. Every minute we did not think of our Savior, that we didn't <coughs> meditate on His commandments, they didn't meet Him in the Scriptures and in the writings of the Holy Fathers. Let us therefore heed to St. Herman and make every minute this re-consecration ourselves to our Savior, of this reorientation of our life towards Him, that we may spend the rest of our lives in striving to bond with Him. This is what all the saints did, and this is what we are called to, and made our Savior to it with the prayers of today's saints that we celebrate, St. Spiridon, St. Herman, St. Juvenali, the first hieromancer of our lands, and St. Peter, the, the first fruit of St. Herman's preaching and the, and the preaching of Orthodoxy in this land, the first martyr who put as a, as a seed himself with his own blood for the future church that would blossom here in North America by their prayers, my Savior, Make us worthy to that we bond with him, that we become true friends with him as he is friends with us. Amen.